0: We're on! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Guide to Existence. I'm your host, Rabbi Gabriel Horan. And today we will be going on a journey through the mitzvahs of the Torah. As of every week, we set out this year to try to study a different mitzvah. So this week, we're going to do all of them. Fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. And as always... <clears throat> If you're listening, if you're out there, we had almost, I believe, 100 or 200 listens this past week. So people are listening out there. I know you're out there. Unless you're a robot, somebody is actually listening to this. So if you are and you enjoy it, please let me know. I want to know where you are listening from. If you have any feedback, insights, please share with me. I very much appreciate it. You can email me at gavrilhoran at gmail.com. G A V R I E L H O R A N at gmail.com. Now let's get started. <clears throat> okay. Um, okay. I'm muting the uh, Russian conversation in the background. All right. Uh, guys, today we are, like I said, we are going to explore something, something very, very deep. In this week's Torah portion, it is probably the most foundational Torah portion that we have. What do we get in this week's Torah portion? Does anyone know? This week's Parsha is called Yisro. And actually, is one of the shortest Torah portions in the entire Torah. But the most foundational. What happens in this week's Parsha? Just to recap, last week, two weeks ago, we got out of Egypt. We're done. We're we're going Towards the land of Israel, but halfway out, we stop off at at the Sea of Reeds. The Egyptians close in, sea splits, Egyptians get killed. And then we are marching in the desert towards, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, Mount Sinai, Harsinai. And what happens in this week's Parsha? Anyone want to take a guess? We get the commandments. Which commandments? Ten of them. Close, not exactly, but close. In this week's partial we receive what's called the Aseris Hadibras, the Ten Sayings. In English, that is translated as the Ten Commandments. That is incorrect. There were not Ten Commandments given at that moment. There were actually 14 Commandments, but as we'll see tonight, much more. Ten Sayings, 14 Commandments, within them, the entire Torah. What do I mean by that? So, how many many commandments are there actually in the Torah? How many mitzvahs? Everyone knows this. 613. 613. Divided into 248 positives, thou shalt do. And 365 negatives, thou shalt not do. Okay? And... um, The Talmud says that all of those 613 commandments are encapsulated in the first two of the 10 sayings that we received in this week's Torah portion. All 613 encapsulated in the first of the two, the first big ones, okay? And we're going to discuss how that works right now. The Talmud points out that the word Torah What's the gemat, gematra? What's the numerical value of the word Torah? Let's see who's good at math. Tuf is 400. Vav is 6. Resh is 300. I mean 200, sorry. Resh is 200. And Hay is 5. 6.11! Bingo! And that's very good. That's what the Talmud says. The Talmud says what would you what would you think it would be right you would think it's 613 you would think it's 613 but it's not it's 611 the talmud points out that 611 mitzvahs were given by moses to the jewish people as it says torah tzivalanu moshe moshe taught us the torah what did moshe teach us 611 what happened to those two more god told us directly and the Ten Commandments. The first two were said by God directly. The other eight, the Jewish people said, we can't handle it. Their souls left their bodies when God spoke, and they said, Moshe, you tell us what he said. So it, there are different explanations. Some say that God said all ten, but then then Moshe explained the, sec, the, the second eight. But suffice it to, to say that encapsulated in those 613 is the entire Torah in those 10 commandments so what would you say is the most fundamental mitzvah of the Torah what would you say is the most important
1: positive commandment the most important negative commandment You said three. What's the most important one commandment?
0: Positive and most important negative commandment. What would you say? What's the big what's the worst sin? Let's start with the negative. What's the worst sin?
1: Ronnie says murder. Jalen says desecration of God's name.
0: Julia says idolatry. Which is it? <laughs> Well, see, Julia always says what's right. So I would guess perhaps, perhaps, that it's the one that's mentioned the most in the Torah. So idolatry is the number one mentioned thing in the Torah not to do. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Oh, by the way, don't worship idols. Did I tell you God doesn't have a body? Don't worship idols. All right. So. <laughs> it's all over the place although ronnie excellent point because there's really is a top three top three greatest sins of all time so don't worship idols up there don't murder and what's the third don't do adultery those are the three big three that you have to give up your life rather than commit okay all of their midst, all other sins or whatever if someone says do that or you die you know you can do it your life is more important but those big three okay but again somehow encapsulated in these 10 commandments is the foundation so what are the first two commandments what would you say so okay so biggest sin i idol- idolatry what's the biggest mitzvah what's the biggest positive what would you say is most foundational positive recognize that there's a god right is that a commandment mike the first commandment actually actually depends who you ask. It's a debate in the uh, medieval commentaries, the Rishonim, the Ramban. Uh, it's usually quoted as a debate between the Ramban, Ma- Nachmanides, and the Rambam, Maimonides. I know their names sound similar, but they're different, right? But it's actually not true. Nachmanides agrees with Maimonides. He just brings another opinion, which is that, well, let's, let's talk about it. What's the first commandment? first
1: commandment, Mike, is referring to. Commandments. I'm the Lord your God who
0: took you out of Egypt, right? And Mike said, that's the first commandment. Let me ask you guys a question. Was that a commandment? What was it? It was a statement. I'm the Lord your God. It's not a commandment. So Maimonides and Nachmanides say, it is a commandment. To believe that there's a God. To know that there's a God. Not just only to believe. To know and to believe. What's the difference? Talk about that in the past. Not for now. To know and believe that there is a God. And not only that, that God took you out of Egypt. That he's involved in the world. Not that there's a God who created... Right? I've asked this in the past. Just real quick. This is the first time that God speaks to the entire Jewish people. Okay? He's like introducing himself. There's fire, brimstone. It's like hollywood lights and it's really fancy and stuff going on what's god gonna do if you were god and you were introducing yourself to the world to mankind as it to an entire nation for the first time how would you introduce yourself hey guys i'm god who what's your job description what's your
1: business card say i'm the lord you god who who what Um, that
0: sounds a little like you're reading the Bible. You're reading the Bible too much. What what is it? What would you actually, if you were God and you were, what's God's real title, description? God. You, I'm the rule of the universe. Hi, I'm God who did what? What's the most famous thing that I'm known for? <laughs> I created the world and the universe. Hey, that's me, right? But God doesn't say that. He said, I'm the Lord your God who what? Took you out of Egypt. <laughs> Why? Why doesn't God tell
1: us He's the Lord your God who created everything? No, so so so
0: that's a, you're on to something. That the commentaries point out that the ancient Greeks and others believed in a prime mover. They believed in a first creator the deists believe in this George Washington and others there's a god who created the universe has to be where did it come from but he has nothing to do with it after he started the laws of nature laws of gravity the first few seconds after the big bang he's out of there and he let nature run its course from then on so what's the first statement in the, of the 10 commandments i am the lord your god who better than creating you cuz i could have created you and have nothing to do with you it doesn't affect your life one iota I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. I'm involved in your life. That statement that I took you out of Egypt implies I have a purpose for you. I'm involved, I care about you. There's a destination. I'm bringing you somewhere. All of history in that statement. And in fact, some of the commentaries, the early uh, medieval commentaries learn out that from that statement, we have a, a mitzvah to believe in Mashiach. That someday there'll be a per, a, an end to history. That there's a destination, that mankind is going somewhere. It's not just random. So, okay, that's the first. Okay, so excellent. So what's the most important mitzvah then? To believe in God? So it's actually debated, is that a mitzvah? Says Maimonides and Nachmanides, yes, it is a mitzvah. Say others, no, it's not. How? Think about it for a second. Can I command you to believe in me?
1: Why not? Oh. Well, even better, right? If you don't believe in me, are you
0: going to listen to me? (laughs) By the way, God, who doesn't exist, commands you to do something. Like, not going to work, right? So says... Avram came to the belief in God on his own, without revelation, through philosophy, through logic. Right? Welcome, Tatiana. Great to see you. Well, to not see you, but it'll be even better if we did see you. So, um, so says, says I believe Rav Sad I believe, but don't quote me on that. Says that it's not a mitzvah. You don't. There's no mitzvah to believe in God. That's the foundation of all the mitzvahs. If you don't believe in God, you're not going to open up the Torah. and and care what else he says got it so so what is the most important mitzvah so i want to argue first of all you're right i believe that's the most important mitzvah and how do i know that because we just learned that the first two of the ten commandments are the foundation for all other commandments first one is believe in god i'm the lord your god took you out of Egypt. believe in god second one is don't worship idols and encapsulated in those two, in believe in God is all the positive mitzvahs, don't worship idols is all the negative mitzvahs. Okay? But it happens to be, this is a side point, that I want would argue that perhaps the most important positive mitzvah is Passover. Why do I say that? Because there are a number of negative things that if a person does them they get a very bad punishment, right? If a person murders someone, even if a person breaks Shabbos, adulterers, there's there's punishments, right? And some punishments are worse than others. So there's a certain spiritual type of punishment called charis. It's like a spiritual, your soul gets some sort of of spiritual disconnection. And, And it happens on certain negative mitzvahs, but it only happens on two positive mitzvahs. There are two positive things. Normally, if you don't do something, you don't get a punishment. If you don't put on tefillin, if you don't say a blessing before eating, if you don't pray, if you don't give charity, no punishment. Got it? You just miss an opportunity. I'm not punishing you for missing an opportunity. But there are two that actually have a punishment. And that is circumcision and not eating the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, the carbon Pesach which is the foundation of the Passover holiday. Why are those two so foundational? Because they symbolize our membership in the Jewish nation. Because especially Passover, I mean, the bris also symbolize that in our body, in a, at least the male body. But the Passover is basically our our statement of faith. that God took us out of Egypt, and now we're commemorating it. We're reliving it. We're engaging in this experience. That took place on that day when God came into our life. So it's essentially the the embodiment of that first commandment. I am the Lord your God. Okay. Questions? Before we go forward. This is all an introduction. Okay. There are ten sayings. And two tablets. How are these ten sayings broken up into the two tablets? Good guess. Good guess, do's and don'ts, but they're actually all, they're mostly don'ts. Does anyone know the Ten Commandments, by the way? It's actually 14. Anyone want to take a stab?
1: Oh, just now? Ah. Anyone else want to take a stab? Besides Steph? Steph cheated. (laughs) Google. You can't Google. Excellent. The first tablet, the first five are
0: related to us and God. Second five are related to us and each other. Okay? Now, who wants to say what all ten of them are?
1: I. You already know the first two. Ah. Oh. Excellent. The fifth one is honor your mother and your father what else kill don't steal don't commit adultery
0: bear false witness keep the sabbath
1: two more I think well you can call Steph we can call Steph it. Don't desire your neighbor's stuff. Said that. Don't use the Lord's
0: name in vain. Don't swear in vain. Excellent. We got all ten. Now, five of them are between us and God. Five of them are between us and man. First of all, one of those five doesn't fit. Okay? Between us and God. Believe in God. Don't worship idols. Keep the Sabbath. Don't use God's name in vain. And. Honor your mother and your father. Which one of these is not like the others? <laughs> Number five. Why? What, what side should honor your mother and your father be on? or right left whatever it should be on the second one the man and man one so a little bit problematic but not really because the commentaries point out that really the purpose of honoring your mother and your father is to learn to recognize that we were created we have a beginning and you know what our parents also were created and someone created and all the way back to recognize that there's a beginning to everything. It's the And if you don't know how to have a relationship with your parents, how can you begin to have a relationship with God? If we can't at least be thankful for the people that had the immediate re- responsibility for our life, how can we have a relationship with God? I'll tell you a great, a great idea that um, the Torah says that if you honor your mother and your father, you will be blessed with long life. Why? What's the connection? Someone I heard a great line from a uh, Rabbi Zev Leff in Israel. He said, "Let's say you have no relationship with your parents, never even met them. There's still a mitzvah to honor them when you meet them. Why? Why should you honor your parents if you have they never did anything for you?" They gave you life. They gave you the greatest gift in your life, which is your life, right? So therefore, by honoring them, you are showing them that I appreciate the fact that I'm alive. So God says, ah, you appreciate the fact that you're alive? I'll give you more. So that's, that's the idea why honoring your mother, your father gives long life.
1: Okay, so now. <laughs> met them. You met them. If you met them. So
0: yeah, you meet them and then you offer to buy them a drink. (laughs) All right. So um, here's the question for the evening. Which tablets are more important? Between us and God or between us and man? What do you guys say? Which do you think is the most important? Any other
1: opinions? Okay.
0: Julia proposes that the second is more important because it encompasses the first. Anyone else? Anyone? Well, what would logic
1: dictate? That's what Julia said. All right. All right, we have another. (coughs) Well, Well, you have to honor man then. You
0: actually have to do it. All right. okay, so, so let me ask you guys a question, okay? So it seems like there's some discussion of maybe man is more important, but let me ask you a question, okay? What did we just learn a second ago? Which two of these commandments encompass all the rest? First two might lead you to believe that And we just said, the worst thing, according to Torah, is idolatry. And by the way, an offshoot of idolatry is arrogance. Also the worst character trait. So it's the same idea. It's thinking that I'm in charge. God's not in charge. I'm in charge. And an offshoot of that is anger. Talmud says that someone who gets angry is as if they worship idols. Because again, when you get angry, you're saying, really, the world should go the way I think it should go. So, um, okay. All right. So, maybe first tablets are more important. So, let me read you a few quotes. Says the Rush, Rabbeinu Usher, a Ashkenazi, great Ashkenazi medieval Talmudic sage upon which much of uh, Jewish law comes from. He said in the 13th century, which is more important, the mitzvahs between man and man. And he says, if people don't like you, God doesn't like you either. That's what he said. Okay? But let me tell you a few other ideas. The Another great commentator, the Mabit, points out something very interesting. Two tablets, okay? On the one between God and us, there's a lot of words. Thou shalt keep, let me read you a little bit, okay? Get ready for this. Okay. Why can I never find the page that I'm looking for when I need it? Here we go. You shall not worship idols. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any picture in the heavens above or that which is in the birth of the water or below the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. I am God who is... that? Sorry. Okay. Honor. Remember the Sabbath to sanctify it. Six days you may work. Perform all the labor. But on the seventh is a day of Shabbos for God. You should perform no labor, nor son or daughter, or maid or man or a base, or convert, or anyone who lives within your gates for six days. Gonna... Okay. You get the idea? That's tablet number one. Tablet number two, don't murder, don't adulter, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't desire your neighbor's stuff. Now, my friends, I ask you, how is that going to look? Okay, on one tablet, you've got like a whole book. On the other tablet, you've got like basically like five bullet points. So says the Mabit, in order to make it graphically appealing, Got to balance out, right? So how are you gonna do that? If you got a lot of words on one page and just a few words on the other page,
1: how are you gonna fill the space? Come on, graphic designers, what are you gonna do? So you gotta use a
0: different font. It says to them a bit that the midst between us and man is like 24 point and the mitzvah between us and god is like nine point times new robin like literally the words are bold why to emphasize that those are more important now if most people i ask this question to say obviously mitzvah misses between us and god are more important it's a religion and after all right i mean like us humanitarian secular jews of course feel that between man and man is more important because we don't believe in god but obviously you religious people believe that god's more important than man says two very authoritative jewish sources not true. and last but not least how many letters are there in the ten commandments come on guys take a guess Great guess, 613. Not correct, but great guess. The answer is 613 minus the last two words of the Ten Commandments. Meaning if the last two words weren't there, it would be 613. What are the last two words of the Ten Commandments? Asher l'reyacha, that is your friend. right? It's talking about don't covet that which belongs to your friend. So says one of the sources... That the 613, the goal of it, is to bring you to your friend. To recognizing your friend, your fellow, the other person in your life. Says Rabbi Akiva, the great sage Rabbi Akiva, the entire Torah can be summed up as love your neighbor like yourself. The great sage Hillel says the entire Torah on one foot, don't do to another what you wouldn't want done to you. Okay? So we see very clearly, definitively, based on many sources, the foundation of the Torah is love your neighbor like yourself, care about other people, be respectful, be a mensch. But now, if that's the case, if that's true, if everything I just told you, ladies and gentlemen, is correct, then what is problematic about the two tablets?
1: anyone, anyway, everyone, if it's true that the
0: second tablet, the mitzvahs between us and man are more important than the mitzvahs between us and God. So what is the question you have to ask? What is problematic? Oh, bingo. Why is it second? Great. Ugh. You guys like that? That's that's, that's a good Talmudic head, Stephanie. You're great. All right. Why was it second? So now, let's try to figure it out. This is my my take. There might be other answers. But I believe, perhaps we could say, that as we just mentioned, that the first commandment encompasses all other commandments. The goal of all commandments, I am God. Recognize that there's a God. The first commandment is the source of all positive. Recognize that there's a God. Every mitzvah we do is to remind us there's a God. There's a God in my life. There's a purpose. There's a meaning. Don't worship idols is the source of all negative. Because every time you do something against God's will, you know what you're saying? I'm in charge. There's no God. I'm in charge. I'm going to eat what I want. I'm going to say what I want. I'm going to do what I want. That means there's no God. At that moment, the Talmud explains, and the uh, the Hasidic sources speak out, especially the Tanya of Chabad speaks out very uh, explicitly, that when a person does a sin, essentially what's happening is there, it's temporary insanity. A person who believes in God, a God-fearing individual who believes there's a God, does a sin. And and there are people that it's baffling to me, people that that do real horrible things like disgusting things. We have a story. I don't want to bring it up if you didn't hear about it. But the a rabbi in Israel who did horrible, horrible things, abusing tons and tons of children. Right. He wasn't he wasn't like a rabbi, rabbi, but he was like an influential writer and author and like, you know, an inspiring person in the Jewish people. How could that person go to synagogue the next day? That b- baffles my mind. I don't get it. I don't get it. There has to be a complete disconnect and in, in insanity. But that's exactly what the Talmud says. Whenever anyone does a sin and or something like that, like it, it doesn't make sense to the mind. But even just speaking badly about your friend requires temporary insanity. Because if you know there's a God and God said, don't speak badly about other people, how could you do it? The answer is, is that moment you went insane. You forgot there was a God. So every sin represents a temporary, momentary loss of reason, forgetting reality, thinking that you're in charge. But how is it possible, really, to to really love other people? How is it even possible? Because really, let's be honest, I do think I'm in charge. We all think the world revolves around us. We all think that we're the most important thing in the world. How could the Torah come and tell us, "Love your neighbor like yourself?" How in the world am I supposed to actually love you as much as I love myself, let alone my own children. Now children, we get. We get it. People will give up their life for their children. But you expect me to give up my life for you? Come on. H- how is it possible? So But not only that, how am I not supposed to be jealous of you? How am I supposed to not covet? How am I supposed to not, as the Talmud explains, idolatry, anger? How am I supposed to not get angry at you? How am I supposed to not judge you? I mean, I think I'm better, right? We all think we're better than the other guy, right? Or or if we have low self-esteem, then, which the source of that is also arrogance because we think, whatever, that, that's not for tonight. But... Um, What about like murder? Talmud says embarrassing another person is like murdering them. Certainly speaking badly about them is like murdering them. How am I supposed to go through life and never and really care about other people? How is it possible? The answer is, is that it's not. It's absolutely not possible. It is not possible to love another person like yourself. In the physical world, it is impossible. It goes against nature. Our evolutionary biological nature is to care about one thing and one thing only. Do you know what that is? Yourself. That's it. We're only alive according to biology because of the selfish gene. Competition, survival of the fittest, might makes right, law of the jungle. According to the world of nature, there is no such thing as anyone else. The only reason I care about another person is because it's going to help be beneficial, mutually beneficial. If we make a community, we'll work together. It's going to help us survive. But as soon as you become a threat to my survival, there's only a limited amount of resources. You're competing over my resources. I'm going to kill you rather than be killed. So. Loving other people goes against nature. How are we supposed to learn to love other people? Perhaps you can argue that the first five commandments, the first set of tablets, is the means to come to the second. Perhaps it's arguable that it's not possible to really love another person unless you internalize, I am the Lord your God. And don't worship idols until you realize that you are not the center of reality and that there is a God and God is with every, you at every moment, giving you exactly what you need. Until you internalize that, it's not possible to really love other people because everyone's a threat to your self esteem, to your social life, to your financial life. Everyone out there is competing for your food. But if you internalize that there's a Lord your God who is literally. Made more than enough for everyone, and that everything is tailor made for your experience your house, your wife, your car, your bank account. It's made specifically for you. Suddenly, I can actually look at you and not be threatened. True internalization of I am the Lord your God means a life of total tranquility, security, self esteem, inner peace, happiness. 24-7. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm in a, um, I've mentioned before, I'm in a self-improvement group where we get together once a month. They give us exercises to practice. So this month, we're supposed to be working on patience. I have failed miserably. Don't try to work on patience when you have a newborn baby. Okay? Because sleep is a prerequisite for patience. But the exercise is amazing. Listen to the exercise. The exercise is to try not to get angry. And not only to not to try not to, but at least to note and write down every time you get angry, which I have not done even once this whole month. But next month, I'm going to do it. Okay, I promise. Maybe I'll even do it starting tomorrow. It's really hard to remember because I'm tired a lot. And I'm like angry a lot because the baby wakes me up and stuff. But this is the definition that they gave of anger. A moment of disconnection. Such an awesome definition. And it doesn't just define anger. It defines jealousy. It defines insecurity. It defines arrogance, judgment. Every time we are disconnecting from our source, from ourself, that's what all those things are happening, right? The moment I disconnect from recognizing that God's with me, that there's goodness, that I'm okay and then i suddenly i judge you i'm literally pulling away from you i'm pulling away from my relationship with god at that moment so essentially that's internalizing that there's a god means no more anger no more jealousy no more insecurity it's 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 unbelievable change in perspective and and we could even say i think i talked about this once before i'm going to try to say it though i don't i don't have it clear right now I think maybe you guys will remember a long time ago I talked about the worst character trait, the source of all sins, the source of all bad character traits. Remember that? What's the source of all bad things that we do? Close, close, right? Why do we get angry at each other? Why do we get jealous of each other? So I think the answer is security. If I was secure with myself or secure with the realization that God runs running the show, I have no need to get angry or jealous. Everything I have is what I'm supposed to have. Everything you have, you're supposed to have. Nothing's supposed to be different than it is. It's that in that moment of insecurity, when I think I'm not good enough or you're attacking me, it's hurting me, my ego's being threatened, you cut me off on the highway, I got angry. I hate people who drive like that. So why are you getting angry? Is this, a, is, is this about, uh, you know, like you're so self-righteous, like you, really, you, you write books about how people should drive? The answer is no. You don't really care about the rules of the road. You feel, you feel that you've been wronged. You feel that that person doesn't respect you. If you knew that it makes no difference, that person doesn't even know you. How can you get angry at the guy? He doesn't know you. How can he disrespect you? He doesn't know you. Maybe he's on his way to the hospital maybe he didn't notice you. The answer is is that we feel it's personal. I'm being attacked. I'm being threatened. I'm being disrespected. If we had total security, then it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of us. Who cares? I don't care. I know that I'm good enough. I know that I'm worthy and lovable and loved by God, and I'm infinitely blessed with all good things, so I don't care what anyone's doing to me. So the source of any time we're getting angry, upset, insecure is uh, is because I'm feeling lacking. I'm feeling less than. It's called insecurity. And what's the root of insecurity? Ah. Ah. Well, it's not that you you don't love it. Arrogance is the root of insecurity. Why? Because I think that I exist. I think I matter. I think I'm independent from God. I think my ego matters. That's why I'm getting insecure. I feel like I need to be this big thing. I need to be great. I need to be... Arrogance is the source of low self-esteem. You know another way to phrase that, actually, is self-esteem is the source of low self-esteem, which is quite ironic. But self-esteem is a mistake. It's an illusion. Because we think the more I believe in myself, the greater I am, the more I think about how all my positive attributes, the better I'm going to feel. The answer is that is absolutely false because there's no such thing as self-esteem. If the source of my self-esteem is that I'm a really talented artist, guess what? There's someone who's more talented than me. The source of my self-esteem is that I... I'm really attractive. Well, that's not going to last forever. Someone is more attractive than you also. Source of my self-esteem is my success at business. What happens when you fail? The answer is the source of self-esteem has nothing to do with your self-esteem. The source of your self-esteem is that you were created by God. I don't know how anyone who doesn't believe in God can have self-esteem. Because if, you're, if you weren't created by God, so you're probably an accident. You're a mistake. You're like an evolutionary blip. You're the non-fittest that's not going to survive. Right? Like, who says you matter? So the reality is, is that from a Jewish perspective, you matter. You matter infinitely. Why? Because you have a piece of God within you. The greatest source of self-esteem is the fact that you don't exist. The more you let go and let God, the more you dissolve your ego, The more you exist, the more you're connected to God. We should talk about this another time and more in depth. But life-changing, probably the most life-changing Torah I ever learned is a piece by Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, the great Hasidic master. And he essentially says that when you have an opportunity to overcome the ego, the desire for self-esteem, when you can be literally embarrassed in public. And not get upset is the greatest opportunity to connect to the soul and recognize that you're not your body, you're not your ego, you're not your talents, you're not your actions. You're fa- so I give a I give a class a workshop at a conference that I went to one time called um, failure, rejection, and embarrassment. It was, and I said, I said to the class, this is one topic that I'm an expert in. (laughs) So I'm always failing, (laughs) right? But that's great because when you realize that, that that's what makes you human. And that failure is the opportunity. It's an opening to connect to who you really are because you're not your actions. Fail as much as you want. Makes no difference. Does not define you because you are your soul. You are something internal, much deeper than your ego your self-esteem your actions your character traits so in order to truly come to loving other people you have to recognize the first tablets but what's the goal goal is the second tablets says the tanya unbelievably that loving other people is the litmus test of whether or not you have a relationship with god Because it is impossible to love other people like yourself in the world of nature. But in the world of the spiritual, I don't have to love you like myself. I love you because you are myself. Because on the soul level, we are all one. So the higher and more connected to your soul you become, the more connected to other people you become because we all have one interconnected soul. On the physical level, we seem separate and disconnected. The more you live in the physical world, the more everyone else is out to get you. But the more you rise above your body, the more you realize that those things that disconnect us are much smaller than the things that we have in common. On the ultimate level, on the source level, we really are, we are all one. So that, my friends, I believe perhaps is the explanation for why we have two tablets. One is the means to get to the other. Belief in God, not worshiping idols. Shabbos, a day to meditate on the fact that everything is the way it's supposed to be. That we don't have to work. It's all an illusion. Everything is coming down. All the blessings in our life are are here right now. Don't bear false witness. Uh, no sorry don't uh don't swear, don't sw- don't use god's name in vain, recognize the sanctity sanctity of speech, the fact that God's with us, honor your mother and father, recognize that you have a creator be grateful if we can internalize tablet number one, it will bring us to tablet number two of not murdering, not embarrassing others, not getting angry, not <coughs> stealing, not coveting it, which is the source of why we adulter and do all the other things so um we should all be blessed to internalize the incredible blessings that are around us all the time that are within us at all times and if we can truly do that then we can also recognize the blessings that are in each other because you have blessings and i have blessings and ultimately when we can celebrate the the blessings that you have and the blessing that i have then we can come to completion as my rabbi once said A Torah scroll is only kosher if every single letter is in it. If a single letter is missing, Torah scroll is not kosher. So the Talmud says that all the letters in the Torah represent all the souls of the Jewish people. So my rabbi said, when I look down on you, what I'm really saying is that my Torah scroll is not kosher. Because if you're not kosher, that means my scroll is not kosher. Because I need you to make my scroll kosher. So ultimately we need each other. And uh, the more we can connect to spirituality, the more we can actually love each other.